Good morning. We'll be reading out of Ephesians. Yes, it's on. Um, if you want to turn into uh, the Pew Bible, page 1159, and read along with me. And I think it's also up above on the uh, overhead. So Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before, beforehand that we should walk in them. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just uh, thank you for this day. We thank you for faithful people that preach your word faithfully. Father, I just pray that you would uh, help us to have ears to hear and uh, just uh, bless our pastor as he uh, shares what it is you've put on his heart to share with us. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Dave. Uh, as a reminder, as we're getting started, we are, are not currently having the Alphas class, but there are some resources on the back table. If you have kids and the kids want to follow along in the sermon uh, or find some words in a word search. So good morning. We all love memberships don't we? Some of us, we have gym memberships that we don't use. Uh, a couple of years ago, remember AMC movie theaters had a movie pass that you could pay once a month and go to as many movies as you wanted to. Or back in the day, remember when you would uh, get that Disney movie subscription uh, with the VHSs, they would send you one by paying you know, 15 bucks a month and they would automatically keep sending you movies every month and they were impossible to cancel. And aren't we glad we spent so much money on all of those movies we can't even watch today? What about political party memberships or NRA memberships or trade memberships like what our nurses are part of or unions that teachers are part of or clubs like the Rotary? But when churches mention membership, it's often times when we get responses like, well, I just don't do that. Or where do you see that in the Bible? Or do I need to sign something? Because I'm not going to do that. Or my last church, I was hurt. So I don't want to do that again. 
Or why can't I just attend? Or I've seen elders abuse membership. And I think those are valid reasons why you could have hesitation for membership. But I hope to show you this morning some good reasons from God's Word for membership. And so as we set out as a local church, today being our first Sunday together, your elders, we wanted to take the next three weeks to, of our autonomous existence to talk about membership. And when we reached out to all of our existing members, everybody wanted to transition their membership to Cornerstone. And when we reached out to all of our consistent attenders, many of you wanted to consider membership for yourself. And so if you are interested in membership, please come talk to me. Please come talk to Tyler or Chris. We would love to chat with you about this and the next steps. And so as we, or before we continue any further, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we get to gather as your people because of the work that your son did on the cross on our behalf to, to gather a people together for your own possession. And we rejoice that we get to do that together. God, would you speak through me, help me to clearly communicate from your word what membership is about and the benefits that come from that as you have initiated this covenant with your people. We pray that you would be glorified in our time this morning and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we are going to be answering four questions. One, why should I care about membership? Two, what is membership going to look like here at Cornerstone? Three, who should be members of Cornerstone and the church? And then four, how should I live in light of my membership? And so the first question, why should we care about membership? When we look at the New Testament, we see individuals come to know and love and follow Jesus. Uh, we see this take place primarily in the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so here in Acts, we see that believers, they start to be distinguished. And believers start to interact with each other. In Acts 2.47, we see later on in that paragraph that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Luke doesn't account that he was adding salvations, although he was. He says that God was adding to the membership of the church. We see in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were done regularly, done among the people of the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. And these believers, as they started to become part of the church, they were faced with a decision to join or not join. And by joining as God's people, it became a public display to the world around them as they were gathering in a public place of Solomon's portico. Paul wrote letters to individuals like Timothy and to Titus and to Philemon, but he also wrote letters to specific churches. 
And Paul made statements in his letters, as well as Jesus did, regarding discipline. Church discipline. And yes, I said it. We will talk about this later in the next couple weeks, but in Matthew 18, in 1 Corinthians 5, and 2 Corinthians 2, we see a, a distinction being made between those inside the church and those outside the church, and how we handle continued sin inside the church. And so what is the church? Well, the church is a body of believers. And Paul talks about the body of believers being similar to like the body of a person where you have eyes and ears and hands and feet and each of those body parts have their own function. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, There may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. As well, we see in God's word that leaders are called to shepherd a flock of believers that are gathered as a church. Paul in Acts chapter 20 says this, as he's talking to the Ephesian elders, as we'll spend some time in Ephesians today. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Or Peter talks about in 1 Peter 5, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And in order to shepherd the flock, we need to know who the flock is. Our sister church, East Randolph, they have members. We have members here. If I run into Marty and Julie at Walmart, I'm not going to ignore them. I will relate to them as a Christian brother. But I have more responsibility here to you at Cornerstone now than Marty does. You are under the care of myself and Chris and Tyler. So if you see my kid run across Route 107, please yell at them. Tell them to stop, especially if a big truck is coming. But if you miss it and you don't see them, it's ultimately my responsibility. You and I, we relate as different families. Similar with East Randolph and Cornerstone. We relate now as sister churches. We at Cornerstone will relate as one family. Jonathan Lehman, in his book on church membership, he says that a local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and His kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. And so, brothers and sisters, once you choose Christ, you choose God's people. We are not a club. We are an embassy. And we are ambassadors. 
Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5. For we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And we've seen a lot in the news recently about ambassadors, haven't we? And what do ambassadors do? Ambassadors, they represent their nation in a foreign land. And so we as Christians, we represent the kingdom of God in the world that we live. We are a distinct people representing who God is and what he has done to the world around us. And so friends, the church is a body of believers. The body is not always perfect. The church is an institution which could be the cause of some of your apprehensions based on maybe some bad leadership in the past. The church is a living organism made up of people who mess up like you and like me. But the church is the means by which God builds his kingdom. It is the means by which God expands his rule and his reign in the world as he calls people to himself and the means by which we help each other to be more conformed to the image of Christ. Our missionary, he, Josh Ratton, he shared a lot about this this past Wednesday. It's, it's on our website if you want to follow up and, and hear what he had to say. And so Jonathan Lehman, his definition of membership is very simple. A church member is to be one of the individuals who constitute a church. It's simple. To be in my family, you have the last name Sellers. You're my child. To be a member of the church is to be a child of God. And children of God are called to be church members. We can invite other people into our home, but they are not my family. Non-members, they attend, and they will continue to attend our services, but members are distinct. Members choose to be part of a specific family. And now I would encourage you to consider officially becoming part of the Cornerstone family if you aren't already. And so that's why you should care about church membership. God's people are called to, to be members of a local church. And so what is membership in this local church? Membership at Cornerstone is distinguished or, um, as a covenant. And this covenant has three parts. God in covenant with his people. God's people in covenant with each other. And God's people in covenant with their leaders. And so we will start with God's covenant with his people. And it started in a new covenant. You had the old covenant. We talked about this in the, the book of Genesis. And we see a new covenant through Christ. Tom Schreiner, he has this good definition. He says, The new covenant finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The new covenant promise of forgiveness of sins is fulfilled in Jesus himself. And thus he pours out his spirit upon his people so that they are enabled to do God's will. And church, a covenant is not a contract. A contract is one-sided. For this, I will do this. 
if you don't do this, I will cancel the contract. So when you buy a house, it's a contract. I'll buy this specific house for this specific price on this specific day. And as you do the inspections, you find out that the lot is not as large as it was advertised. So you can cancel the contract or they want to change the price down the road. And so you can cancel the contract. But a covenant is different. A covenant is not one-sided. A covenant is two-sided. Remember this from Genesis chapter 15. Remember I said Genesis connects to everything. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I will give you this land. And what God is showing Abraham is that he will keep his promises. Abraham, he already showed his faithfulness in believing what God had said. And God is initiating this to show that death should come to God if God doesn't keep his end of the bargain, which we know will never happen. An example of covenant is marriage, where two per imperfect people are committed to each other for one lifetime until death do them part. Of one man, one woman, before one God for one lifetime in the covenant of one marriage. When one spouse doesn't look the same as they did on their wedding day, they still keep the covenant. When one spouse still doesn't know how to load the dishwasher properly after so many years, we still keep the covenant. And that's why marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, where Christ is committed to us and we are committed to Him. And covenants, they go both ways. They are mutually beneficial. Where Christ, He gets the glory, and we get salvation, and we get joy and holiness. And I'll mention the disappointment now. We will not be a perfect church, but we will strive by the grace of God to be as closely aligned to God's Word as we can in our membership here at Cornerstone. And so, after the longest introduction in the history of Cornerstone Church, we will be talking about God's covenant with His people. It all starts there, where God initiates this covenant with us that He will always keep. Church membership starts with Christians. And so who should be members of Cornerstone? Those who receive the covenant from God of our salvation. All the way back at the beginning of Genesis, God created Adam and Eve. God didn't need us to fill a void in His heart. He created us to live in fellowship with Him for His glory and for our joy. And as we know in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world and the covenant with Abraham would come later in Genesis that I mentioned that would lead to God calling a people to Himself. It would come to the nation of Israel through whom all the nations of earth would be blessed, which would include you and I. And so we find ourselves in the book of Ephesians. And Paul wrote this letter to the church that he had planted to show them two things. 
One, that Christ has reconciled his people to himself. And two, that Christ has united his people from all nations to one another in his church. And we'll be spending the next three weeks in the book of Ephesians. Paul always starts with gospel doctrine before he calls his people to gospel actions. And this is where we find ourselves this morning. And so before I call you to gospel membership, we start with gospel truth and our salvation. We will establish some grounds by which we can discuss and apply membership to our context context after that. And so Paul starts with the necessity of salvation. We'll pick it up in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and whence you went walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so, church, we have a need of salvation. We are hopeless and we are helpless without Christ. God helps those who help themselves is not in the Bible. Here in Ephesians 2, it's clear that God helps the helpless. When you see you in Ephesians 2, it's not referring to just one person. English, we don't have a plural form of you, but this is a plural form. And so I have to go to my family that lives in the South to understand this. And this is what it would be a y'all. Paul is writing this to the church. And before we believe, we are living in this old life of sin, following the serpent from the garden. And Paul was showing us that the life of following sin and the life of following Satan means that we cannot submit to God. We submit to sin. We have no inclinations to a life of holiness. We may do good things in the world's eyes, but we are still sinners. Vermonters, they like to say, but I'm a good, I'm a good guy. That's great, but we're also sinners. Paul says this in Romans 3, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And Paul calls these sins and trespasses, or offenses against a holy God. When we open our mouth, we sin. Maybe not every time, but it happens. Only you and God know your thoughts. And if your thoughts are anything like mine, sin happens. Anger, bitterness, envy. And I think King David's words in Psalm 51.5 are as clear as it gets. It says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And so, friends, be honest. We have made missteps and false steps, and oftentimes they are deliberate. We've all told a little kid, right, do not touch the outlet. And you give them about a second and a half, and they're walking over to the outlet to stick their tongue or their finger in it. And we willfully disobey God's holiness and righteousness. 
and we are responsible for these acts of treachery against God. And because of our sin, we are dead. The serpent led Adam and Eve into sin, and the results of that, as we know, were their death. And we've inherited this same sin from our ancestors, and so we also are dead and we will die. And so here in Ephesians, the result of sins is that we are children of wrath. God would not be just if He allowed sin to continue and to go unpunished. And when we see someone hurt, we want injustice. When we see someone innocent suffer, we want justice. And we all want justice, but only God is just and righteous. And so church, we were dead. But God initiates the covenant with us like He did with Abraham. We have a need for salvation, and Paul continues to show us now the cause of our salvation. Verse 4 to 6. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I've said it all before. This may be the biggest but in all of Scripture. We were dead, but God makes us alive. Not only does He make us alive, but He raises us up. He seats us. We were here and now we are here. We were dead and God makes us alive. We were down, He raises us up. And we were going into destruction and we were in darkness. Like the opening of Star Wars, right? A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And the screen goes black and the sound comes on and the Star Wars logo breaks onto the scene. And Paul here, he breaks the silence and boldly declares God's compassion and pity on sinners suffering the calamity of sin. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps the helpless. He helps you and He helps me. We were dead in our trespasses. We were children of wrath. Our situation was not looking good. But the intensity of God's love is much bigger than our utter desperate need. Like a little child, when you talk to them, you say, I love you. And they say, I love you more. And then you say, well, I love you this much. And they say, well, I love you bigger than the world. And you say, I love you more than the universe. And God's love, church, is greater even than that. It is infinite. We were dead. And now we are made alive. Genesis 2, verse 7 says, The Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So after the fall, being dead, God now breathes life. He resuscitates us and he makes us alive through the person and work of Christ. And Paul here, he's talking about conversion, that you were like this and now you are like this. And we, we're not converted to Christians, to the group. We aren't converted to a church. We are converted from death 
to life. We're created or converted from being in Adam to being in Christ. We are converted to being under the rule of Satan to being under the word of God. We are converted from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. And church, there is no conversion without new birth. And there is no new birth without conversion. And so regeneration is what the theologian Augustine would call prevenient grace. Grace that precedes other grace. Regeneration is grace that precedes our own heart's inclination to God. Where it's not natural for us. We need a, a jumpstart of God's grace to make it possible to have faith in the first place. And so like Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness, our own faith is also counted as righteousness before a holy God. And here Paul uses words like mercy and love and grace to show us the means by which we become alive. Where mercy, love, and grace is what leads to our salvation. Where it's all unmerited favor because God chooses to love us, the sinner. And the result of this salvation is our new status. That we are raised up with Christ. That we are seated with Christ. And that we are alive. And this picture, it looks forward to our future that ultimately we will be physically raised with Christ to be with Him in glory forever. And so, brothers and sisters, the need for our salvation is clear, that we were dead. The cause of our salvation is clear. It's all of God's grace. And the purpose of our salvation we see in verse 7. So that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And so why did God save us? It's a gift of His immeasurable love and kindness towards us, vast beyond all measures. God's purpose in making us alive and raising us up and seating us is to show all the ages to come that salvation is only of God's grace. The purpose of our salvation is to show how awesome God is. Not to give us a better life, although we get a better life, but it's because God the most, gets the most glory in saving sinners like us. Before Paul moves on, he wants to remind the church one more time. We saw the need of salvation and the cause of salvation, the purpose of salvation, and we'll see verses 8 through 10. A reminder, not getting too far ahead, where Paul needs to remind us of our salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For by grace you have been saved, church. When God has lavished such love on His people that we will marvel for all eternity over the incredible loving kindness of God. John Piper recently said this, 
on his podcast I was listening to. I had to go find it. I thought it was perfect for this morning. Let me just read this to you. Grace is only available from one who can give grace. That's what grace is. It's the overflow in it from an inexhaustible fountain, which means that the only way we can relate to God so that He is pleased and so that it glorifies Him is not by hauling buckets of human labor up a mountain and pouring our supply into the pure, inexhaustible mountain spring of God, but rather by falling on our face exhausted and putting our faith and our face in the water and coming up saying, oh, that's so good. Marty and I, we were at a meeting um, Monday this past week with a bunch of pastors and Wes Pastor who leads Nets that Eric had mentioned. Uh, as he's transitioning out of his lead pastor role to, to lead Nets, we had a Q&A time and one of the guys asked him, how do you keep going? He's been pastoring for 35 years, I think, and his answer wasn't that he gets eight hours of sleep or he reads his Bible in the morning or he has an accountability partner. It was that he tries to remind himself of how thankful he is of God's grace. It gives him perspective to know that such a God would love him, and that's what keeps him moving forward. We're spending some time, church, learning about the gospel on Wednesday nights. We're going to break this down even more over the next couple months. And it's amazing to see over and over again how good God is to us. And so if you can make it, I would highly encourage you to join us at 630 on Wednesday nights. As this whole process of our salvation is a gift of God. We are saved by faith, not by works as a gift, so no one can boast. So trust me, if it was up to us, we would boast. We would go on to social media, to Facebook or to Instagram. We would post it. We would hashtag it. Look what I've done. But the purpose of our salvation is that God alone gets the credit. That God alone gets the worship. That God alone gets the glory. God alone saves. Friends, the gospel isn't an offer. We don't need to package it in a neat little bow or box with a bow and beg people to take it. I had a friend of mine, he said, it's a great gift, but we should take it also as a command of God. Acts 17 says, the times of ignorance, this is Paul speaking, God overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Friends, the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is a perfect package to take advantage of. And it's free offer, but it's also a command and we all need to receive and believe the gospel. After God created Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God has now saved us as His workmanship for good works. 
And we see this redemption, this restoration of what God has initially created us for. For fellowship with God and with each other and also to work. Where God's work saves us so that we can work and serve and live life as was intended for us in creation. And so how do we respond to this working is our last question. Paul said, so we will walk in them. We won't work in them. God will work in and through us as we walk by faith in His power. Our salvation, church, is individual. And each of us responds to the gospel or we don't. But salvation, it does have an impact on the church as we follow God's commands for us where we get to walk in them together. And so how do we live and respond to God's covenant with us? I'm glad you asked. Related to membership, there are seven things in our membership covenant that I want to reiterate for you all. First, the Holy Spirit initiates a profession of faith. Where the Spirit makes us alive, God in His mercy, He initiates covenant with us and we respond in faith like Abraham. And God's end of the covenant is to keep our salvation. He saves us and He will keep us. And we as a church, we get to rejoice in that together. And so that's where membership starts. It starts with this as God's covenants with us. And if this is you, if this is the first step, tell someone, even if today it clicked. The second thing we get to do is we get to submit to God's word. Marty reminded us last week as he set us off as our own local church of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we oftentimes, we pass over the great omission of the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And all means all, no matter how hard it is to do. But we get to observe and obey all Jesus' commands together. We get to encourage and exhort one another and bear one another's burdens. We'll talk about this more next week, but we need to follow God's word. And as members of God's church, we get to do that. To not be a member of a local church is also not to follow God's word. The third thing we do is our first step of obedience is to be baptized. The Great Commission, make disciples, baptize them. Baptism does not save, but it's a response to our salvation that we have received. It symbolically represents Christ's burial and His resurrection that we are affirming our belief. And it shows the body of believers, it shows the church physically I'm one of you. In the early church, baptism was closely tied with a profession of faith. Oftentimes, immediately, people, when they believe, were baptized. 
And as a believer, if you haven't taken that next step of being baptized, we want to talk to you about that to help you to take that next step. We want to do baptism, hopefully maybe later this month or the first part of October, not outside with cold water. But it's obedience to Christ. As believers, the fourth thing we do is we respond by celebrating the Lord's Supper or communion. Our statement of faith says this, the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church through partaking of the bread and of the fruit of the vine memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate His second coming. Jesus commanded two specific ordinances for His church. Be baptized and celebrate the Lord's Supper as often as you gather. And we as a church, we will be doing that this morning. And we will continue to do that the first Sunday of every month moving forward. Tyler will lead us in our time of that after we finish in God's Word. The fifth thing we do is we defend and rightly apply God's Word. Church, as a Christian, this book is life. As we work out our salvation, we apply 2 Timothy 3, where it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work that God prepared beforehand, as Paul would say in Ephesians, that we should walk in them. And we saw over and over again in Genesis, did we not, where they did not follow God's word. Church, we want to know God's word, to defend God's word, and be unashamed of God's word, which leads to our sixth item, that we get to live as witnesses in the world. As disciples, as members of God's church, we are called to make disciples on our own. And I hate to break it to you, but you are making disciples. The question is, who are you making disciples to? Who are you leading? You are leading. But are you making disciples to Jesus, or are you making disciples to somebody else? Even if you don't say a word, we're making disciples. Faith comes from hearing the gospel as we've shared this morning and we get the opportunity to obey God and bear witness to the world around us of who He is and what He has done. It is a privilege. And the seventh thing, finally, we get to worship. Without salvation, what would we worship? As we receive salvation from God by His mercy and grace, what other response should we have than to worship? As you open up God's Word on your own, as you share the Gospel with others, as you see people respond, or you respond, we get to worship. We get to worship personally, we get to worship with our families, we get to worship as a church. And friends, it's a great privilege and honor to be partnered with you in the Gospel. We believe the Gospel that Jesus even pays the penalty for the ways we haven't followed Him. We get to do this with a particular local church. We get to remind each other of the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the first part of membership. God's covenant with you 
and I, my, excuse me, and with me. Our part is to believe, church, of the covenant. His part is to save. So Jonathan Lehman, he says in his book, the local church is the authority on earth that Jesus has instituted to officially affirm and give shape to the Christian life. The church is not a building. A church is its members. Church, we need each other. It's God's plan for us to be partners and members one of another. A membership covenant, it says all seven of those things. Confess, confess your belief, obey God's word, be baptized, celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion, be transformed by God's word, make disciples, and worship. In the early church, they did this. In Acts chapter 14, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So all over God's word, it shows salvation gift. God initiated his covenant with us and everything else is a response to that. And church, we get to declare to each other and the world around us who God is and what he has done. And we get to respond in receiving of his grace through Christ in worship, in song, in giving of our tithes and offerings, in baptism, in the Lord's Supper. And as I invite the worship team up, we get to respond again this morning. And how awesome God is that we get to do that together as his church. And so let's raise our voices and do this to a great and merciful God who has saved us and covenanted with us by his grace. Father, thank you for being so good and kind and loving to come to us your enemies, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we desire to worship you. We desire to sing to you. We desire to celebrate and commemorate his, your son's death on the cross for our sins, his blood shed for our sins. And God, we thank you that you have grace for us, that you will save us from our sins. And so, Father, we lift up our voice to you now, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we...